On today's episode, we have Lucy Hendricks. Lucy is the co-owner of Enhancing Life Gym in Lexington, Kentucky. A self-proclaimed biomechanics nerd turned client relationship wizard, Lucy is a well-spoken teacher and guide for trainers working with persistent pain clients. Her ability to skillfully coach exercises and conquer the art of communication makes Lucy the perfect person to discuss the following topics. Bringing awareness to the human body, why it is so scary for trainers to work with people in pain, the art of communication, fighting beliefs around pain, the skill of reading people, first interactions, training model adjustments for people in persistent pain, and normalizing feedback. So without further ado, here is our episode with Lucy Hendricks. I'm Tim Richard. And I'm Michelle Bolin. And you're listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. More Train, Less Pain. Lucy, great to have you on today. Thank you so much for your time. Um, the most interesting question by far is going to be first. What was your last workout? Not an in- interesting answer. I've been <laughs> super sick. So yesterday I just sat at machines and I would hit the machine and then I would sit there and then I hit the machine and then I'd sit there. So that that was my last workout. <laughs> <laughs> Better, better than nothing, you know? And now you're drinking bone broth, so you're going to be healed by the end of the day. Exactly. Um, okay, so I listened to quite a few podcasts that you've done this past year, and it fits perfectly with our season three theme of, you know, getting people training in the weight room and working with people with persistent pain. And um, my first question would be, what role do you think trainers have in working with people in pain? The way I see it when it comes to pain, and not just pain, but any issue that people are having, hormonal issues, sleep issue, I see personal trainers and coaches as guides. We can be curators of good information, good resources, and guides. And that might mean guiding someone to a referral that can look that way. The way it looks like at my gym is that we help people connect the dots on how certain things add up to a certain outcome. And that just doesn't have to be pain. It can be anything. And so we help people bring awareness to these dots because I think people in the health and fitness and rehab industry don't realize how big of a privilege it is to learn about the human body because we get the knowledge and the experience that allows us to connect the dots. And the general public have a horrible time connecting how one thing led to another. And I hear it all the time. I have a lot of friends who are not in the industry and Mm -hmm. I hear things like, I don't know why I have insomnia. And then I listen to them talk about how they drink coffee at 10 p.m. (laughs) Or I don't know why I'm tired and they sleep three hours a night. It's just people don't have the awareness, the experience, the knowledge to see how lifestyle habits lead to 
outcomes. And sometimes those are negative outcomes. So I feel like trainers, when it comes to pain, we can be help be that awareness for people, help make people make those connections on how do you notice how every time you go on a road trip that where you're in the car for over 10 hours, you tend to complain about your knee flaring up? Or have you noticed when you have a big deadline at work and you don't make your gym sessions and you don't do your nightly walks, how your back flares up? Because especially when it comes to pain, the information out there that people are being fed is very outdated and completely wrong. So they make the wrong connections. They make the wrong assumptions. And from my experience personally, like me experiencing pain and chronic issues, and from working with people in pain over the last 10 years, I find that when someone is experiencing something unpleasant, like pain, hormonal issues, autoimmune issues, something that's just something unwanted, when that happens, people, including myself, have a really hard time stepping back and looking at their situation from a logical perspective. Like right when you're in the middle of experiencing unpleasant symptoms, you are going to struggle, like taking a step back and looking at your life and like, oh, I see how I got here. <laughs> I see how this this happened. Like, that's really hard to do. And it's even harder to like look at your situation and have some sense of ownership and have feel empowered to take action, to keep trying, to keep going versus being victimized over the outcome which can be pain or an autoimmune flare up. So I feel like from a generalist perspective, coaches can really help people guide people towards that. I don't know how to call it mental model, mental process where you see certain things and notice how you get to that end result, which is usually pain. That That's beautiful. Beautifully said. Um, I was actually watching a trail running video yesterday. That's what I do in my free time. I watch people run through the woods. And um, <laughs> there was a girl running with two boys and they were doing like a, a 30, excuse me, 32 mile run around like, anyway, somewhere in Wyoming. Long story short. And the girl just a couple miles in, they had a stop. She got some water and she was explaining how a week before her period, PMS, right? She feels differently. Um, just uh, her emotions are a little bit different. She has her energy levels a little bit different. And they were all like, all like, oh, wow, amazing. And it just, I just thought it was something we never talk about. But most clients that we work with, you know, females experience that. And it's, you know, I've heard coaches in the past talk about, oh, you know, changing training around menstrual cycle, but there's a huge emotional aspect to that. And these are definitely all things that we can help guide people through um, outside of, of the physical component in like the weight room and training, but it does have a big impact on how people physically perform. Um, but I guess leading into that revolves the skills on how to do that and 
why do you think it's so scary for trainers to work with people in pain or help them explore something else besides like the X's and O's? I think part of it is the fear of going out of your scope. Because we've yeah. been told so many times pain is out of our scope, but there's a big difference between being able to talk about pain, working with someone in pain, and then diagnosing and directly treating pain. Those are two separate things. And it's very different to work with someone in pain and being able to communicate with them, validate their experience, validate what they're going through versus diagnosing exactly what the person has wrong. And if we can separate the two and realize that those, those are two different things, then we can start talking about what the role is when it comes to pain. But I don't know if you remember getting certified or in any book, when pain is a topic, it's refer out. Mm -hmm. Oh, your client experiences pain? Refer out. And that was the first rule that I learned when I first got in the industry. But I quickly realized that most people had already been referred out. Like that step had already happened, but they were still experiencing pain. So now what? What am I supposed to do? And I spent years and years thinking I was doing something wrong for allowing people in pain to work with me. And it wasn't until maybe year six where someone explained to me, oh, no, people in pain need fitness. People in pain need someone to promote them to walk. People in pain need someone to promote about sleep. People in pain need to prom get promoted to have social connection. And that's when I actually started really learning about pain because I was just scared to learn about it because I kept getting told it wasn't my job. I was mm -hmm. even told because through training with me, people experience less pain. So people would write that in the review, like working at this gym, I used to have knee pain and now I don't. I had a physical therapist tell me, delete those reviews and don't say that they got out of pain because that's not your job. So I didn't think of learning about it because it wasn't my job. But once I started learning about it and you realize, oh, pain is influenced by all these different factors. And some of these factors definitely fall into my wheelhouse. So the same client who's a fat loss client, who's just here to get stronger, really needs to be doing the same stuff that this person in pain needs to be doing. So yeah. I think if people realize that they can work with people in pain and they start to learn about it, they'll see that the more you learn about pain, the more complicated it becomes, but the less scary it also becomes. And the more you learn about it, then you'll start to see when you actually need to refer someone out. Like today, I had a client text me and he said, you should have heard my ankle pop when I rolled it on the driveway this weekend. It's so swollen and bruised. And to me, that's, those are my three little check marks of go get it checked. <laughs> um, did you hear a loud pop or snap? Yes. Is it bruised? Yes. Is it swollen? Yes. Okay. You, know, you need to go get it checked by a medical professional. But I've developed these rules by learning about pain. Yeah. So you talked about learning about pain. I know I want to get into how to validate and all that, but can you actually just dive into the skills that you've learned or maybe even some of the failures that you've learned from uh, when working with people in pain and how you have 
you know, taking these people into your gym and welcome them. It's a lot. It's a lot of skills. And it's also, (laughs) it's an art too. And I think people need to see it that way. Or I wish people could see the work that I do and notice that it's more than just knowledge on pain, communicating. It's also an art of how I go about changing people's beliefs around pain. An example of this is getting other people to talk about certain things in front of other people that have bad beliefs around pain. Like I will go so far that I will basically orchestrate a situation in the gym just to get one client to think differently. (laughs) So if I have a client who's really scared of plyometrics because jumping is bad and they have knee pain and no matter what I say, they're not going to believe me because I've tried so many different ways to trick them into jumping or make jumping feel safe because I know they need to. Like they want to hike 15 miles. They should be able to do some plyometrics. Like Mm -hmm. hiking 15 miles is way more intense than doing a few hops in the gym. But they're so scared of hopping because of their knee pain. So what did I do? I put two people together in the gym And this one person had emailed me weeks ago, and we had already talked about it, about this article in the New York Times about running and how the impact of running actually made your joints stronger and healthier. And we had already talked about it, but I needed this other client who was scared of jumping to hear about it. So I put them together and then I got across the room. So the person had to project their voice when I asked her a question. I'm like, hey, what was the article you sent me a few weeks ago? I forget. I wanted to tell Dave about it. And it's like, oh, it was the article in the New York Times about running. I'm like, what did it, what did it say? It's like, oh, it talked about running and how blah, 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 blah. And then the other client like looks up and she's like, well, what did you just say? And then the other client starts talking. And then guess what? The next week, the client goes, can we do some of the plyometrics that you were trying to get me to do last month? I'm like, yes, yes, we can. And so that's just an example of like the art of working with these people. You have to set up situations to fight their beliefs and really learn how to communicate with people and bring things down to their level and even be good at reading people. When I'm introducing a new idea with someone, if I'm trying to challenge you, And I start seeing your body language, like get away from me and close in. And I start to see that you're not getting what I'm saying. I start backtracking. And I'm like, Mm. what I had planned is like out the window. So really being good on your feet, being mindful and really paying attention to the client is a skill that I think is necessary when you're working with people in pain, because you have to really be able to sense where they are. Like, are they receiving this? Are they getting turned off? Are they open to listening to this new approach? Am I, am I pushing too hard? Because sometimes if you push too hard, you're going to scare them off mm-hmm. and then they won't come back. But sometimes you do have to push, but you have to know what, what's enough. Have you built enough trust? So being able to communicate, being able to build trust with someone, being able to show people your level of expertise in this population 
And the way I do that is by reviews from other professionals. So if you look at my website, because I can't talk about working with people in pain without this, because I think it's helped me so much build trust with this population. So I asked other professionals to, or clinicians, to write reviews about me working with people in pain, because your biggest enemy are other clinicians. They are going to really make it hard for you to work with these people. Because that's where people are getting beliefs that work against them, that induce a fragile mindset, that don't relay the, the, the idea that your body is adaptable. Because if something hurts, sometimes, almost all the time, a clinician will be like, well, don't do that. And now that person will never want to try that exercise again. So if you can basically set your level of expertise or show your level of expertise by having other clinicians write about you, that's a huge help. Yeah. So you kind of started as like the biomechanics girl, right? Mm-hmm. All those works, the foundational workshops you used to do. And I had um, this person who did them with me, you know? I know. I know. Might be me. <laughs> <laughs> what did we call those? Um, no, I hated it because Zach came up with the name. It was um, pretty corny. It was like some, fundamentals or something like that. Fundamentally sound. Yes. Yeah. That's it. We never liked it. it. They were good though. I don't want to brag, they but they were great. And so I'm anyways. still very detailed with my coaching. Um, yeah. You were always very detailed with your coaching. And I think that's why you've had a lot of success with this clientele, but you really started off biomechanic heavy and then you kind of shifted towards now like you're a really good communicator and you're very aware of the language that you use and that other people use um so what do you think not resources but what do you think made that shift that you decided hey i need to learn a new skill here or develop this a little bit more So how has trying to figure it out by yourself been going? Let's see. You go to a weekend seminar, but when you return to your clients on Monday, you don't do anything different. You take a course on biomechanics, hoping to fix your clients' nagging aches and pains, but the exercises you were taught aren't working. You watch other coaches on Instagram make it look so easy and think, I just need to do what they are doing. Does this sound like you? I get it. It's hard to navigate the vast amount of information out there, and we can't do it all alone. That is why a trusted mentor is so important. Mentors allow you to exchange ideas about current athletes and clients, gain strategies to apply your knowledge into actual exercises, and learn from their failures so you don't have to. Especially if you're self-employed or working in a gym, there isn't always someone there to push you to get better. The MBT Private Mentorship is the answer. We talk about clients, program design, exercise selection, business development, and finances. If you want more out of yourself, send me a DM on Instagram or reach out to me via email at mbolland at dashtraining.com. And now back to the show. A couple of things. I think learning about pain 
was the first shift of understanding why maybe I was getting results with the biomechanic model because my only lens was biomechanics. So if someone Mm. out of pain doing 90-90, the only reason I had was a biomechanics reason. Oh, it's because the hamstrings pulled the pelvis and now their back relaxed. And now Mm -hmm. that's why they're out of pain. Or if I coach someone to do X and the pain went away, that means it's because of biomechanics. That was the only lens that I had. When I started learning more about pain and understanding how expectations lead to certain outcomes. So the person just expecting to get out of back pain because their friend that referred them told them they got out of back pain, that can lead to someone getting out of back pain after an exercise. Just the expectation of something working. It's called the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. Or blood flow. You just created blood flow in the area and that's why they got out of pain. Or just the idea of feeling safe in their body because their friend told them I was really good with pain and I told them it was okay to do those exercises. So I facilitated an environment where that person felt safe to move their body. And then that's why they felt less pain. So when I started learning about pain, it really opened the idea up that, oh, my people might be getting results for different reasons than I what I than what I thought. And what I used to do back in the day when someone tried to cancel their session because of a pain flare-up, I would ask them to still come in and just do a warm-up for 50 minutes. So they would basically do a bunch of low-level breathing exercises for 50 minutes, and they almost always felt better, but almost like too good. They would come up to me and like grab my hand, and like, thank you so much. And when I was in my biomechanics lens, and that was the only lens that I had, I was like, oh, it's because I did breathing for a whole hour and they got better posture. And that's why they feel better. But when mm-hmm. I started getting away from that, I couldn't ignore the results. So I just started seeing it differently. Oh, they felt better because maybe blood flow. I made them feel safe. I made them meditate for an entire hour. They basically did a movement meditation. And if anyone meditates for an entire hour, they're probably going to feel better. And so it just started, I started getting a better picture of how everything influenced influenced everything. And then from there, I started changing my model, but I didn't want to change it too much because I still got results. I -hmm. still made training feel really good. And I made clients be really independent. I mean, that was our workshop. Our workshop was to create independent clients, to create coaching standards that everybody could follow. And I didn't want to give that up. So I, I thought really hard on how I could keep the good of what I had built. And it all came down with the language that I used. Mm. How am I describing 9090? Because I used to describe it as like, you're trying to find the right position and the correct position. So I made movement very binary. So how can I introduce this exercise and just not say anything that promotes this binary thinking. You're just warming up the hips, warming up the hamstrings. So that's when I started changing the language. But then in 2019, I hired a new coach, a business coach. His name's Michael Keeler, and he is the communication expert. And around the same time, I'm going through a really hard breakup 
And Keeler's not just a business coach. He's a coach for everything, or at least I use him for that. And I remember <laughs> getting on a call with him crying. And I'm like, oh, this relationship, this is how it impacted me. This is what they did to me. This is what happened. And he was like, oh, so it sounds like you struggle setting boundaries. I'm like, what? No, no, I'm telling you how they impacted me. It's like, yes, but you also struggle setting these boundaries. And this is how this happened. And that is when I started realizing I'm really bad at being in a relationship with someone. Like, I don't have the skills to be in a healthy, romantic relationship. I don't have the communication skills to be in this thing. So that's when I went obsessive into, because you know how I like to obsess, into learning about being a good communicator in a romantic relationship. Like, I wasn't even Mm -hmm. thinking clients at the time. I thought I was good. Like, what else can I learn working with clients? But in my process of becoming a good communicator romantically, I'm going through this book called Love Skills. And I'm realizing this, these are all the skills I need to be learning with my clients anyways, Mm because if you're a personal trainer, you are in a relationship with someone might not be romantically, you might not be having sex with them, but everything else applies. You have to set boundaries. You have to remind people their boundaries. You have to handle conflict. Your client's going to piss you off eventually, and you're going to piss off your client. Like you're going to mm-hmm. have miscommunication. And that's when I really started to connect the dots on how much I've been missing the skills of being in a relationship with someone. And the rest is history. Then <laughs> I went crazy into that and applying that. And since I'm still in the trenches working with people every single day, I've been able to apply these new skills. And it's really helped me develop deep relationships with people, which helps me get people to change and think differently. That's awesome. So it's almost like two part, like you made changes in your personal life and you realize, oh, wow, this bleeds over to make me a better coach. And also too, like we trainers, we just overall, we tend to hyper-focus on like the physical nature of the gym experience. And it sounds like just even like your tone of voice, the way you talk, the way you explain things, that's, that's why you were such a good coach to me. You also probably touched on a lot of the emotional responses that was that was happening with persistent pain clients, and that could have had a major impact on them as well. You're probably just more aware of it now as well, and probably way better at the skill of it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Look at that. You became a better person, and now you're <laughs> 10 times better coach. <laughs> um so you have a very good course called Beyond Biomechanics. It's in the AMP mentorship. And I got to get access to it and watch all the videos. It was great. Um, and you talk about the four areas of focus in creating a client experience outside of the training model. Now, before we kind of dive into that, can you maybe we can kind of go back and forth here. What would you consider all of the elements involved in the client experience? Like, what can you think of? You don't have to list like 50 or a hundred, but you know, (laughs) just a few. Um, Well, before when I only had the biomechanics lens, I think, or I thought that what went into the client experience was my training model. Mm. The better I got at my training model, the, the better the client experience I would provide. And 
the more you work with people, the more you realize, oh, these are humans that you're working with. So you have to learn these other skills. So I would say anything that makes the person feel heard, seen, and understood. That's really what goes into the, the client experience. Can you make people feel understood? Can you make them feel seen? Can you make them feel heard? And if you can do those things, you will provide a great client experience. I like that. Um, even just, I mean, we think of like, well, setting aside the training model, like that atmosphere, just like even little things like the music, how people interact right when they walk into the door, seen, heard, understood. There's so many people at the gym I rent space from that just walk into the door and are completely ignored and then just kind of like go off into the back. And it's like, that's no, that's your first opportunity to make someone feel a certain way, right? Yeah, um, or even before that. So I, I like that you bring that up actually, because yeah. understanding that, and this is where they feel understood, understanding mm -hmm. that going into a new environment is very stressful and probably promotes promotes a lot of anxiety. Even I mm -hmm. went to a gym and the guy didn't even give me a tour. And like, luckily I know where, how to figure things out, but what if I was just a regular person? I was mm. here to sign up and he didn't even give me a tour. So really understanding that there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of skepticism, and it's a very vulnerable position to agree to come to a gym to agree to do something new. So I try to get ahead of that problem, knowing that that's how people feel. So I talk to someone on the phone before they even come in. And when they agree to come in, I, cause I already know they're like, where are you? What's it going to, where, where am I going to, am I going to find the place before they even get to worry about that? I say, all right, so Michelle, I have you down for 1 PM on Friday. So you should receive an email. In the email, there'll be the address, everything that you need to know. If you click on the link in the email, you'll see a picture of the building, our address. That way it's easy for you to find. You'll see a green car in the parking lot. That's my car. And as soon as you walk into the door, you'll see me. So I'm just trying mm -hmm. to get ahead of the problem, knowing that this person is very scared. And I've had people before I did this, I've had people drive the day before that's how nervous they are that's how they how much they don't want to mess up they drive the day before just to make sure they can find the building yeah that that makes perfect sense i i think we could probably include that as an element of the client experience a huge yeah. chunk of that is the first interactions and you mentioned setting expectations and that's your first opportunity to be able to do that. And if you miss the ball or drop the ball on that, it could impact your whole relationship with the client. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And really yeah. being able to clarify the problem that they're coming to you for before they even come in. So they feel understood. So if we're on a call mm -hmm. and you're like, well, what are your services? Well, me trying to dig deep into, well, what's your problem? What, what, what kind of, what kind of help are you looking to get? What are you struggling with? What have you done in the past? Have you tried to work on this on the past? And then finally, like peeling back the onion and then getting to the point where, well, it sounds like, Michelle, really, you're just looking to be guided through those initial stages of, of working out, right? And you're like, yes, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm like, and it sounds like you're looking for a place where it's not a big box gym because you're really intimidated and you've been there before, blah, blah, blah. Is that right? And you're like, yes. If I can get that enthusiastic, yes, I know 
that they're thinking this person understands me. And so I'm like bringing the barrier down of them being closed off to trying me out. Yeah, that's, that's great. And then I also would include like the transition of that. Like you worked so hard on that phone call to create a connection with that person and make them feel understood. Well, now it's your job to transition that throughout their whole experience, Mm -hmm. be able to talk to them. Um, another thing, um, one of my clients actually said something, I don't, I don't know who he trained with before me, but <laughs> he's like, it's just so easy. You just make it so easy to deal with you as like a business. And I'm like, oh, like, what do you mean by that? And they're like, it's just so easy to pay you. It's so easy to schedule with you. You know, it's not like some, like, you know, a big pain for me. And it's like, well, yeah, it's like, if you can limit eliminate those barriers, you'll make it easier for people. Right. That's, that's a big aspect of the experience as well. Yeah, the more you can simplify it, the better, because people don't want to read emails, they don't want to follow instructions, like people are so overwhelmed. They, if you make them have to read an entire email that's more than 30 seconds, they're not going to read it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, sure. One thing that I will say about phone, uh, just because this is about pain, or we, the topic is pain. Mm -hmm. When it comes to people in pain, I find that it's a good idea to let them vent, let them tell the whole entire story. Because when you learn about marketing and sales, sometimes they try to like quick phone call. Don't, don't talk too much, clarify the problem, but then tell them that you're going to talk more when you actually get them in person, which I agree, like try to make it as fast as possible. But I find when it comes to pain, allow them to tell you their story. Even if that story is insignificant, they have to tell you, of the time when they fell off the bike when they were 12 years, 12 years old and they've been having shoulder pain ever since they have to tell you that entire story. And then, and then they'll, they always apologize. Like, I'm so sorry. I just like told you everything. I'm like, no, I need to know everything. Thank you for sharing that with me because usually they don't get to share that. Usually someone in pain has already gone to physical therapists and doctors and people don't have time, especially a doctor. A doctor's not going to listen to the whole story. And it might not mean anything to you, but it means something to them. And if you quickly invalidate that story, we go back to validation, then they're going to be a little bit closed off to you. And I got to see that happen in real life. And it's always stuck to me. I took a client who was in a lot of pain, who was being told that she needed surgery. So I took her to this physical therapist that was hours away. So we both drove to this place. And she had her MRI results. We know that the MRI doesn't really tell you much about the person and why they're experiencing pain, but it did to her. So mm-hmm. she had all her MRIs. I mean, this person's had has had multiple surgeries, multiple fusions, you name it. So she had a huge packet of all her MRIs, her entire history. She hands it to the physical therapist because this is, it means something to her. She's like, here's everything that you need. He grabs it and throws it on the table. And he goes, I don't need that. And I could just immediately see it in her face. And guess what kind of session we had? Not a great one. Mm -hmm. The person, the physical therapist tried to tell her she didn't need surgery, but she wasn't hearing it. She was closed off the entire time. And I could, imme- I could tell, like, as soon as he threw that, I'm like, why'd you do that? 
<laughs> um, thank you for sharing that. That was a great addition. Um, to quote you in one of your videos from the course, you said you need to validate people to get to get them to be open to new things. So you've mentioned validate a few times here. Would you mind just taking a bit to describe that, um, mm -hmm. how to use that, what it means to you? Yeah, so validating is basically telling you, Michelle, I see why you did what you did. I see why you think the way you think. I see why you acted the way you acted. I can see why you would do that. It's basically saying, I see you, I hear you. I don't have to agree that you did X, Y, and Z, but I'm acknowledging that I get why you did it. And when you're trying to share a different perspective with someone, it helps if you first acknowledge their perspective, their feelings. So an example that I'll use is if we were, if we were dating and we used to work in the same place and you come home and vent to me, that Anna, the person you work with, keeps deleting all your files on your desktop. And you're venting about Anna and you're like, I hate that she does it. Like every time I come in on Monday, my desktop is empty and I have to go back and look for this stuff. It's so annoying. But I've worked there. So I know everything about this company. I'm better off validating your experience. Yeah, I... I would be frustrated too. That sounds really annoying to like have to look for the files every single Monday. Do you feel like maybe Anna might be doing it because she thinks she's helping you? Maybe she's like not even aware that she's annoying you. Maybe she actually thinks she's doing a good thing. Have you talked to Anna about this? If I would have jumped straight to that, you're like, no, I'm pissed, Lucy. I'm telling you I'm annoyed. So by me validating and acknowledging your experience first, like, yeah, totally, I, I would be frustrated too. Then providing a different perspective or a different experience, then you're going to be more open to listening to me. Yeah, that's, that's a great example, by the way. And going back to just doing that in personal relationships, you create a better connection with someone, not just as a coach. Um, I learned a lot through that, especially your recommendation of the book, I Hear You, um, was quick and just makes you more self-aware when you're having conversations with people. Um, so going back to the client experience, um, we talked about kind of like, quote unquote, everything else outside of the training model for the most part. But what are maybe some aspects of your training model that you now consider when working with people in persistent pain? I would say the biggest thing that helps us work with these people is starting very, very slow. So I start with someone with one or two exercises. And it's usually on the ground. We do a few moves because the feeling that I'm trying to get on day one is that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's all we're doing today. I'm like, oh, okay. All right, cool. I can do this. I can do this. And that's like the first feeling that I want someone to experience. This season of More Train, Less Pain is brought to you by my remote fitness programming service. We've been talking a lot about navigating the minefield that is attempting to train and improve fitness while dealing with persistent pain. 
If you feel like this directly applies to you, it can be daunting to attempt to construct your own workouts and long-term programs. Personally, one of the best decisions I ever made was to outsource that process and hire a coach. Someone who's external to the day-to-day reality of being in my body and my brain that can take my preferences, feedback, and athletic goals and coalesce them into a stable, doable fitness program that I can execute. It's an honor to serve in that role for my clients and my athletes. Stop banging your head against a proverbial wall and spinning your wheels changing workouts every week. Start investing in a long-term process to discover what your body is capable of and the long-term progress that you can make. Reach out via the contact tab on timrichart.com to learn more. Now, back to the show. With that, mm-hmm. I raised my hand, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a lot of times trainers or you, you own your own gym, you you kind of feel like you have to fill this this certain block of time, like an hour. When someone comes into you, will you just do like, oh, we're just going to do a half an hour maybe? Is that the starting slow aspect or do you just do a few things within that hour time frame? Day one, it's talking. Then I show a few things. So we only schedule 45 minutes. So the expectation is we're only going to do a few moves. If I have someone that's a little more conditioned, then we do a little few more things. Maybe I show them to push the sled. But if someone's in pain, usually one or two moves. So the expectation is set that we're not going to do the whole whole 45 minutes because we're going to be talking a ton. But when they come in, depending on how they handle those moves and how they handle cues, and their past experiences with exercise, I tell them that their first session is going to be 45 minutes to an hour. Depends on how things go. And what I end up doing is I fill in the gaps with, especially if I have someone extremely deconditioned who can barely do anything, I fill in the gaps with exercises that require no tension. And Mm -hmm. so what I'm able to do, which is where I'm really skilled is even if someone can barely do anything, I'm able to fill that whole entire entire hour. And one of those exercises might be neck rolls where they're literally lying on the ground and they're moving their neck without tension because they're so deconditioned that small, low-level exercises are actually really challenging. So if I filled the whole hour with that, I would crush them and it would be too much. So I just pepper in shit that I just know is not going to do anything like open book move with no tension and then cat cow move with like zero tension so in the entire hour they might have done five to six exercises that you would consider exercises where they're feeling their muscles and then there's five to six other exercises where they were doing nothing but then I use that and I'm like oh my gosh you went the whole hour that's amazing. Yeah, you can fill the whole hour. And they're like, wow, I worked out a whole hour. So in the internet, they tell you these low level exercises are going to make people feel fragile. But if you change the words, <laughs> and you change how you describe things, you can actually make these low level exercises feel very empowering for people. And I make people feel empowered. I'm like, whoa, you just crushed a whole hour. And I'll do the same thing if you have a debilitating flare up. And maybe it was so debilitating, you didn't want to come in and I hadn't built trust with you. So you missed two weeks mm-hmm. and then you come in and you're like, I'm back at square one. I lost all my progress. I'm not going to be able to do anything. I can barely still move. 
I'm like, well, let's just see how you feel after two or three exercises. Just once you get moving, let me know how you feel. And then we'll, we'll figure it out from there. And even there, like my language is very specific. I'm not saying, let's see how you feel when you find these positions or find these muscles. I'm saying move. Let's just feel, see how you feel after you move around. And if you feel better after you move around there, I'm like kind of changing your belief. Like, okay, maybe I can move. And then an hour later, I'm like, Michelle, you just did a whole hour. You're not that far behind. Like you're, you'll get back to where you were in, in no time. So I make people feel really empowered with very little work. And that's, I think my biggest strategy. That's amazing. Great. And um, we also talked a little bit before about predictability in training sessions as well. Like these people, you may not doing the same thing over and over is probably the best thing for them, like avoiding novelty um, in experience working with persistent pain clients. If you introduce too much too soon, it could, you know, you know, cause a little tension there, or they may get a little frustrated or, things like that cause like an emotional response. Yeah. Or they'll, they'll just want to quit, quit it all. And one yeah. thing I do tell people is the goal with someone in persistent pain is find that core program that they feel good doing. So don't change it. Like once you find a, a decent warm up that takes 10 minutes and they're doing assisted squat, a pull down sled push. Like once you find that core program that they feel good in and they feel good progressing in, that's when you can bring one thing in and yes. push them a little bit like um, out of their comfort zone. Like Michelle, just, just try the step up and then you try it. If you flare up, now I have that core program that you feel good at. And like, it's okay. Like, let's go back to this. But if you introduce things too soon, it's like, nope, it's, it's done. It's so I can't do anything. So I find it a lot better if I just find those core exercises that really work, they feel confident in, they feel confident progressing in, they feel confident in pushing a little bit. And also maybe I've done some little trial and error with these exercises. And what I mean by that is, let's say you have back pain. So your back pain, there's a lot of emotions behind that because you spent 10 years in debilitating back pain. So feeling your back pain is a big no-no. But your knee, like you've never had knee pain. So after you did a step up with me a few weeks into your training, you actually experienced knee pain and you weren't scared of it because you're not scared of knee pain. And you tell me about it and I convince you to try the step up again and you do it because you're not scared of your knee and your knee actually didn't hurt. So there I'm able to bring to your awareness. Notice how the first time you did a step up, your knee hurt, but then the second time it actually didn't hurt at all. And you're like, oh, yeah. And then that's where I can bring awareness to you, to you about the idea that your body is adaptable. Your body adapts. So just because something hurts in the beginning doesn't mean it's always going to hurt. And if we have some of those situations happen with other things, your elbow, the first time you press the 20 pound dumbbell, hey, remember your knee, how your knee hurt when you did the step up, but then it felt fine after the second one. Maybe the elbow thing is just the same because you did go up from 17 and a half to 20. So try the 20 today and see if it's better. And if it's not, we'll go back to the 17 and you do and it's fine. Then a couple months later, when you do a new exercise and you feel your back pain, I now have all this evidence <laughs> built. Like, Hey, remember your knee, remember your elbow. And hopefully you start to make 
new connections. You're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I'll try the deadlift again and see if it's better. Or maybe not. Maybe it takes three years of me building evidence. (laughs) It It might take three years. Then finally, you start to think differently about your back pain. And that's the beauty about being a trainer and working with people in pain is you have the time because sometimes Mm -hmm. it does take a lot of time and a clinician might have the skills to change someone's relationship with pain, but they don't have the time. Yeah. Tim and I talk about this quite a bit is I feel like I have a huge advantage because I see people for years where I can work with someone with persistent pain uh, make them feel empowered, have like a core program, like a sled, for example. It's uh-huh. like no one ever has gotten hurt with a sled, knock on wood. <laughs> and it makes people feel really empowered. And I have people for years where he is like selling someone for like a six or eight visit packet. And he almost has to prove or like take care of a problem within that time frame where he could potentially, you know, lose that person. Yeah. Yeah. You have the time to help people connect the dots and that, that takes a lot of time. I like that a lot. Um, Awesome. Thank you. That was great. Some great points there. Um, In the beyond biomechanics course, um, going back to that, you talk about four areas of focus in creating a client experience outside of your training model. The first area of focus you talk about is self-awareness and the importance of gaining feedback from others. Now, I like this. Um, I've sent out surveys from people, excuse me, to people to get feedback. Um, How do you go about doing this and what questions do you ask um, other people? The best thing that's happened to us is owning a business or me owning a business with my (laughs) ex-boyfriend because people have no issue giving me feedback about Dave and Dave and then people have no issue giving feedback out about me to Dave and so we're constantly getting feedback from each other of how other people are perceiving us and I think that's been the biggest thing and if people don't ask me specifically, or if people aren't specifically complaining about Dave, I'm still specifically asking about the session prior. And how was the last session? Oh, it was good, but my shoulder hurt for like five days because Dave told me to push through the pain. And in my head, I'm like, I know he didn't. (laughs) I know Dave didn't say you have to push through the pain. Just mm-hmm. like when Dave asked a client, how was the last session? It was good, but Lucy didn't let me add weight to my deadlift. And then Dave comes to me with that feedback. I literally asked them if the weight was okay. <laughs> like, what do you mean I didn't let them add weight? And so what that really taught us is that your perception of how the conversations are going is definitely not what they're perceiving. So getting that constant feedback of how they perceive that last session is very important. So if you're sharing people, if you're a coach that shares people in a gym, that's a great way to get feedback is how was that last session? Just hearing them repeat conversations or how that session went gives you a lot of information. Um, Another way is we send a survey out every six weeks because our programs are six weeks. And the survey asks, how much they enjoyed that program, 
how much sense of accomplishment they felt after each session. And it also says, is there anything that you want us to stop doing? And then I give examples because I've been very intentional at normalizing receiving feedback because mm -hmm. people don't want to complain. They're yes. people pleasers. And I used to work in a gym where I received all the complaints, but the boss didn't because people were too scared. So I've been really intentional at just normalizing complaints, normalizing people complaining about the music, normalizing about people complaining about not putting the fan on. And so I'm constantly basically training people to give me feedback because people are people pleasers. And you learn this by learning about relationships and romantic relationships. Um, mm. My big example of teaching people to give me feedback was a summer night. It was so hot and I forget to turn on the fans because when I turn on the fans, I have to project my voice more and then I lose my voice and I get cold because I'm not working out. So I forget to turn on the fans. Most of my clients are cool with turning on the fans themselves or asking me because I would. But some clients don't because they're too scared. So one night I'm watching all my clients work out. There's four people in the session. They're dripping sweat. And in my head, I'm like, none of these people are, have asked me to turn on a fan or turn down the AC. So I'm just going to let them suffer. So, <laughs> and then I'm going to bring it up. So then at the end of it, they're all close to me. And I'm like, were you all hot? I'm like, yes. Why didn't you turn on the fan? And the other client goes, I was waiting for you to turn on the fan the entire time. I was like, because I can't read your mind. You have to be able to communicate with me. If you want the fan on, you have to tell me. If you want the AC to be put down, you have to communicate with me. So I let you sweat it out because you didn't feel safe enough to give me the feedback that I am not turning on the fans. So in the survey, I have examples like share something. Is there something that you want us to stop doing? And then I have quotes, stop playing Burning Man music because that's all Dave plays and Dave, people complain about it all the time. Um, stop programming split squats into my program. Uh, please turn on, don't forget to put the AC on in the summer nights because I always forget. So I'm giving people examples and normalizing feedback that I would like to receive. So that's one way. What about someone who is just kind of like a one-on-one -on -one trainer um, besides sending out feedbacks or maybe even questions that they should put in that feedback um, besides the one you mentioned? I would say very similar. Normalize them having feedback mm. when you when you talk to them. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Same thing as communication skills. And setting um, the standard. Like I... Um, I can pull it up real quick. Mm -hmm. so I have this survey that I send out, but then a client gave me the feedback that no <laughs> one would ever be honest. And I'm like, well, I feel like people will complain a lot. And I feel like they, they are pretty honest with us because I've normalized complaining. And he's like, people still won't be honest. So what I ended up doing was writing a little blurb in the program request form. And it says, we see feedback as a gift. 
Complaints are unmet needs and wants. We want to know if you're unhappy with something or not enjoying your programs. The more you share with us, the better we can adapt to your needs. We're not perfect. As good as we are at reading people, we sometimes make the wrong guess and assume that you're enjoying something you're not or hating something that you love. The more comfortable you feel sharing with us how you feel, the better your experience will be at the gym. So if there's something that you want to share with us but want to remain anonymous, here's another form. And I've never had anyone actually fill the anonymous form in, but little things like that, just trying to normalize and condition people to be honest with you. Awesome. Thank you for pulling that up. That was great. Um, So you talked about before your personal journey, kind of going through this, uh, the things you've learned. Um, What are some of your top recommended resources that people can look into for themselves? When it comes to just everything, communicating. Yes. Uh, when it comes to communicating, the book, I Hear You, that you you mentioned, and that is all on being able to validate someone's experience, whether you agree with them or not. It's like one of the best skills to have when listening to people, because a lot of times people just want to vent and coaches are fixers. So when a client comes mm-hmm. in and they complain about gaining weight during Thanksgiving, they just wanted to complain. They didn't want to hear about, well, maybe you should like, you should try eating your protein before and you wouldn't overeat on the sweets. They didn't want to hear that. They're not in a position to change their habits. They just wanted to vent. So being able to have that skill is very important. Uh, Love Skills is a really good book that is a book designed for you to go through with your partner And they have a section on self-awareness and what's the other one? Oh, and then it's the same author that wrote, I hear you, Michael Sorsman. He has a relationship course. It's like two 99 and it's extraordinary relationships and it's really well done. And it's broken into sections where you There's a section on validation. There's a section on boundaries. There's a section on conflict. So that is a great resource. Oh, great. Perfect. Thank you for pointing those out. Um, So to summarize, what would you say your top tips are to help trainers keep their clients working out even when they are in pain? Tip number one is meet them where they're at, which is very cliche. And people say that all the time. (laughs) But when it comes to people in pain is if they think they're fragile, treat them like they're fragile. If they feel like they can only do a few exercises, they can only do a few exercises and then slowly work up from there. And this is where I have the immense privilege of having all this experience, all this trust If you look at my website, it's very impressive. All these doctors wrote reviews about me and I have all these reviews on Google. If you look at my Google reviews, it's impressive. So I have more of an opportunity to push people harder at a faster rate because people already come in trusting me. And if you don't, you haven't built that reputation, you're going to have to baby them a little longer. And I really like realize that when people started coming in flared up because that never happened in the past. In the past, if I flared someone up in the beginning, 
cancel their sessions, sometimes even their membership, and they would run back to the PT. And if the PT didn't support strength training, then I was screwed. They'd be gone or I would never be able to progress them, which is why Mm -hmm. I always babied them. Now, people trust me so much that if I flare them up after the first day or two, they still come in and they tell me about their flare up. And it's amazing because in my head, I'm like, oh, wow, you still thought I could handle you. That's amazing. But another coach might not have that opportunity because they haven't built that reputation or that trust in the community. So my big tip is treat them as they feel. If they feel fragile, you treat them that way until you build trust and you build that core program that they feel confident in. And then that's when you can learn how to experiment or push them out of their comfort zone, but don't push them out of their comfort zone super fast. Fair enough. And would you, would you encourage trainers to get people to write Google reviews for them of how they, you know, specialize maybe in working with people after rehab? Yeah, absolutely. Because people believe other professionals So getting massage therapists, chiropractors that you collaborate, physical therapists, people in your network, because you need help people or you need help getting strength training to be backed up by other people. Yeah. Like assumed authority. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything else you want to add or we haven't touched on? Not that I can think of, no. Yeah, I thought we got through all this. Anything else that you want me to answer? No, I think I have a very long list of questions and I feel like we crushed them all. Um, I highly encourage people to go check out all the resources that you mentioned. And also if they get a chance to get involved in the AMP mentorship, your your course is awesome. Um, In regards to that note, you know, how can people find out more about you? I've retired myself a little bit from teaching in the industry. Good for you. <laughs> I, know. Uh, I feel happier. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> weird. <laughs> um, but you can find me on Instagram. And I am always open to having someone come to Lexington for a very cheap price. Obviously, they have to pay their way. But I'm always open to having mm-hmm. people come shadow for a whole week or shadow for a weekend. So you can reach out through Instagram. And if that's something that you would like to do, I can totally make that happen. That's awesome. That would be a great experience. I've been there before. Great area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lucy, for your time. This was a fantastic episode. And I definitely learned a lot through just diving into all the resources you recommended and listening to all the podcasts you've been on the past uh, year, including this one. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. If you're enjoying what Michelle and I are putting together here, we'd appreciate it if you could leave a review on your pod player of choice. Reviews help us climb the rankings, which improves our ability to help more coaches and therapists continue to push our industry and knowledge base forward. The intro and outro music for More Train, Less Pain was produced by Jacob Azurdia. You can find out more about his music by visiting his Instagram page, J underscore Z-U-R-D-I-A. Thanks for listening.